Amen. Thank you, ladies. Hasn't the music just been wonderful this morning? And what's best about it is it's all true. And we can look forward to that. Aren't you thankful for the precious blood of Jesus Christ? who was willing to ransom us and redeem us from sin. And I'm thankful for the ladies and all those who work so hard, diligently practicing and preparing for that. We just get to enjoy it, do we not? And I'm thankful for that. Thank you for using your talents and gifts for the Lord. Judges 17, if you will. We're going to finish this chapter today. We started it last week. We'll continue on through our series in Judges. Once you have found it, if you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet, we want to uh, out of respect for the reading of God's Word and give you a chance to stretch one more time. Uh, Judges chapter 17 and verse number 7. If you'll follow along silently while I read aloud there, the Bible says, And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver. By the year, in a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It certainly is good to be in your house this morning. Already, Lord, we've been blessed by the music, the fellowship, by a connection group, the Sunday school time. Lord, we've been uh, encouraged and helped and strengthened. Lord, we come to you because we need to hear from you today. Come to your word. Your word you've given us. You've preserved for us. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And may it do just that today. May your Holy Spirit move, Lord. May you help me to get out of the way, and may you speak through me. Lord, thank you for the nursery and the children and the youth as they meet right now. Thank you for the 830 service, Lord, and the good crowd you gave us there who have already gone their way. Thank you for this great church and what you're doing here. Thank you for being good to us, and we don't deserve it. Thank you for your mercy and grace that's new each morning. I pray you open up our hearts, Lord. May we learn from the example Micah gives us. Lord, and really as an example of all the people of Israel and how we can learn from them and how we can avoid the pitfalls and avoid, Lord, what they chose to do. Lord, so we can be blessed and we can be greater used of you. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, years ago, there's a story about a clerk at a clothing store who was known for her unvarnished opinion. In fact, she, they even felt like it was a sense of pride about them. They like to be honest. And one day a man emerged from the fitting room and the clerk looked at him and shook his head and says, no, no, those jeans look terrible on you. I'll get you another pair. As they walked away, they heard him mumble, I was trying on the shirt. Those were my jeans. <laughs> well, sometimes we can get ourselves in a pickle, can we not? So we can get ourselves... In a space we wish we could get out of. Sometimes we even can cheapen uh, what we're trying to accomplish. It reminds me of a man who told a friend about taking his wife to dinner for their anniversary. 
He was so excited, and he described how the food was made in front of them. The friend said, I've heard of places like that. What is the name of the restaurant? The man replied, Subway. Uh, May I say, that is not a good idea. Men, if you're trying to take your wife out to a nice place, it's a cheap imitation of what she could have. And this morning we see in Scripture a man who chose a cheap imitation of what he could have had in his worship to Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we can get so busy with life, we can get in a checkbox mentality of, Creating even our own worship, our own religion, and forget that the whole reason behind it all is a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And Mike is one of those men, he really doesn't just show of one isolated incident in Israel. No, this story is here for us today to show what really all Israel had become. And what me and you have that ability to become if we're not careful. It shows us a picture of why they would need a judge but really a bigger picture of why they ultimately needed a Savior and why you and I, no matter how good we try to be or how hard we try, at the end of the day, we must understand our need for a Savior. So we saw last week the entrance, the introduction to Israel's idolatry, and really part one was the entrance that came through Micah stealing 1,200 pieces of silver. His mother cursed the person who stole it, He was a little superstitious and didn't want that curse to come upon him. So he says, Mom, I stole the silver. And she says, bless you, my son. I don't know if I would have responded that way to my son. But that's what she did. And instead of getting him to a place where he needed to see repentance and restoration, she emboldened him by saying, here, let me take that silver and make little gods. And that showed us the empowering and the emboldening of him taking those gods and becoming his own worship center. Did not wish to go to Shiloh, which was not too far away, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Instead, he wanted to create his own worship experience, his, paint a picture of his own God, and he wanted to uh, employ his own religion to the point where he even got his son to be the priest. He got his own ephod he made. He got his own terrapins, if you will. He got his own shrine and says, hey, come worship here. I can paint God however I want. I can do whatever I want, and God can fit in my box and bless me as I want. I want to even manufacture my own blessing. Now, as we'll see, he carefully builds his house of cards, and next chapter we'll see how that is taken away in one swift motion. And then he even says, he goes from saying, the Lord will bless me, to then he says, I have nothing left. How does that happen with you and me? If we're not careful, we can get so concerned on outward appearances and outward things that when that gets taken from us, we feel so lost and empty. But if we truly worship God and we truly have a relationship with him, nothing can ever take the joy of the Lord away from us. So this morning we see number four, if you're writing in your handout, which is really part two, which will be there, uh, number four, the enlisting of Israel's idolatry. So not only is he emboldened, but now he decides to Enlist someone else. And who was that? Micah did. Verse 7. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there. Now, who was this young man? Well, if you flip the page to Judges 18, verse 30, or just look up at the screen or in your notes, the Bible says, Jonathan, the son of Gershom, 
the son of Manasseh. Now, who was this guy? He was actually none other than the grandson of Moses. Could you imagine being Moses and literally almost turning over in your grave? Not just but two generations later, your own grandson is actually this false priest and doing this false worship. And though he says all the right terms and use all the right things, he's actually leading this family and eventually a whole tribe of Dan astray. And so we see this young man is out of Bethlehem, Judah. So we see the unqualified priest. Now we'll see later that Micah makes him into a priest, but he was not any more of a priest than, than really anyone else. He was simply because Micah said he was, because he was actually unqualified. The Bible says he's out of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, Bethlehem, Judah, we know Bethlehem as, as the birthplace of David. We know as the birthplace of Jesus Christ, of course. Bethlehem is very famous. And back then, Bethlehem and Zebulun was actually more famous. So they had to say Bethlehem, Judah, to discern the two. And this young man was a Levite from Judah. Now, that is not where the Levites were living. That was not the land uh, 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 devoted to them. So why was he even there? Well, some think maybe he was half Levite, half uh, from Judah, maybe his mom was from Judah, and so he was only half a, a, a Levite, if you will. Some think maybe that the profession was taught in every tribe, and therefore they were allowing anybody to be priest, even though they were supposed to be out of the lineage of Aaron, if you will, Moses' brother. And some said, well, maybe he was just not where he was supposed to be and found himself in Judah. So we don't exactly know why he was in Judah, but we do know this. He was not an actual priest. He was simply a Levite. Not all Levites were priests. They had to be chosen, of course, and he wasn't. He wasn't any more of a priest than you or I. But he was at least partial Levite. And some would say, well, Micah is at least trying here. I mean, he goes from his son to an actual Levite, so he's actually trying to do right, if you will. I mean, he's at least trying to do better. But may I say today, just because we aren't sinning as bad, sin is still sin. And Micah here says, hey, wait a minute here. God, I'm trying to do better. I had my son, but now I'll use a Levite. I'm getting closer to you. Well, God's will, obedience to God is not horseshoes. Close doesn't count. There's a point, right? It's clearly laid out in the scripture. No, I'm not to say that we're going to hit that point every time. We're growing. We, by the way, that's why we let Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, sanctify us, right? And trying to do it on your own is a, is a frugal, is a fruitless task. We must give our life to Christ and allow Him to change us from the inside out. But I reminded of another couple who tried to do this. Adam and Eve, right? In Genesis 3, 7 and 8, after they were tempted in the garden. The Bible says the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. They thought, okay, we done wrong, we're not right, but at least we'll do our part and, and at least we'll try here. But that was not enough. God, of course, in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. I just want to say here today, just because you're not sinning as bad doesn't make it any better. Sin is still sin. And Micah here is falling in the trap of thinking, hey, I can just better myself and maybe God will be okay with it. But at the end of the day, we're all sinners. 
years ago, uh, there was an article in Time magazine entitled, Adam Has Fallen Again. A few years ago, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, a priceless 15th century uh, bust, if you will, of Adam, uh, a marble statue, toppled over during the night and shattered. No one was around. Although the vandalism was suspected of of maybe some people coming in and vandalize it, the curators determined that the life-size Venetian sculpture buckled of its own accord. And the museum director said this, it will take a great deal of time and skill, but the peace can be restored. What does that mean for you and me? Well, we are, we're all Adam, right? Wherefore, is by one man sin into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for the all have sinned. And just like this, marble statue that was going to take a long time to get back, aren't you thankful this morning that you and I, though we're sinners, we too can be restored? We're all guilty. We've all fallen and we can't get up. We desperately need a Savior. It reminds me about the man who was trying to stick to a diet. Finally, after a few days, he gave up and he wrote this. Dear diet, things just aren't going to work out between us. It's not you, it's me. You are tasteless, boring, and frankly, I can't stop cheating on you, you know. But yet, how oftentimes do we try so hard to do right? Do we not? We try so hard to get to heaven on our own good sometimes. The world tries to say, if you do this and that, but at the end of the day, you and I are desperate in need of a Savior. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. <laughs> the penalty of sin is death and hell. Maybe if I'm good enough, or maybe if I try harder, I can get there. Some will cry. But may I say, at the end of the day, we're still not close enough. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, someone who knew the Bible in and out, came to Jesus one night and said, what must a man do to be saved? Jesus said, you must be born again. Not of water, but of the Spirit. When is that time in your life when you've realized you've been lost without Christ? No hope. No matter how hard you tried, you weren't good enough. You must come through the the redeeming power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ and accept him into your life. And so we see an unqualified priest. No matter how hard Micah tried, it still wasn't good enough. No matter how hard we try, it's never good enough. It's through Jesus Christ, him alone. But second of all, we see the unquestioned priest in verse 8. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah. He departed out of the city. Now what's interesting here, if you look at these three stories of this chapter and the next two and then end in Ruth, you'll see Bethlehem is woven into each story. Uh, The Levite leaves Bethlehem in this story. The civil war that Ephraim experiences is in Bethlehem. And then Ruth is centered on Bethlehem as well. The only difference that Ruth has that the other two doesn't have is that there actually is a remedy, there actually is a savior in the lineage of Ruth. And of course we know Ruth and Boaz's son was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Which just shows us, no matter how hard judges tried, no matter how hard these people worked, there was no relief, there was no change until the Savior came into their life. No matter how hard you try, how you, you try to do it without Christ, it's all in vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down. And so we see this morning an unqualified priest, an unquestioned priest. This Levite literally leaves the picture, if you will, the centerpiece of God's will. 
The people even tried to use a king, Saul, but still there was not an answer. And what does the Bible say? He sojourned where he could find. He had to go get his living. There's disorganization. <laughs> There's no really churches, no temples. There's no, no, no worship, not a lot going on. So these Levites do not, are not being cared for. And what's more is the Canaanite cities that was given to them were still occupied by Canaanites. So they were forced to wonder. They were not being cared for. And so the Bible says he goes to the house of Micah. Jonathan no doubt heard the rumor of Micah's chapel and his house of worship. Say, hey, maybe I'll go there and get employed. So he shows up and Micah said unto him, whence comest thou? He said, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I might find a place. And like a light bulb, it clicks in Micah's brain. And he says, dwell with me and be unto me a father and a priest. Don't go any further. I got you covered. Just stay with me. I'll make you my father. That word there means spiritual teacher, spiritual leader. You'll be my spiritual leader. And then, I'll pay you. You can be my priest. Man, he thought a sign of God's favor to him. Micah did. These images, a Levite should come to his door. One commentator said this, Those who please themselves with own delusions... If providence unexpectedly bring anything to their hands that further them in their evil way, are apt to think that God is pleased with them. How often can that be the case? You know people who are doing wrong, but yet some things are going right for them, and they think, well, it's okay. And you're sitting there saying, two wrongs don't make a right. And here we have Micah. He has this unqualified priest. He has this unquestioned priest. And then we see number five, if you're writing, they employing of Israel's idolatry. Now, he goes a step further. He's not just doing it in his home. He's now bringing an employment in. He's going to help spread this, if you will, start spreading this idolatry in his area, as we'll see. Later, it ends up affecting a whole tribe of Dan. The Bible says, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year. Now, ten shekels wasn't a great payment, but it was better than no payment. And you could live on ten shekels of silver a year and a suit of apparel. Now, this is probably two different suits, one for everyday living and the other one for actually his priestly duty. So he got some, some clothes out of the deal. And thy victuals. You don't have to go hungry again. Uh, you can eat, you can drink, and I got you covered. And lodging to boot. Everything you need, Micah says. Well, the Levi, the Bible says, was content in verse 11. And so I see here unsatisfied contentment. Say, Pastor Justin, why are you saying unsatisfied? Well, because in the Levite's mind, he was now satisfied outwardly. But there was something missing. He was unsatisfied spiritually. He pretends reverence and submission, like it is. And we see the contentment comes. It's infected by the superstition and idolatry. This Levite is, is now getting involved in this superstition and this idolatry. He knows better. He was taught better. But he decides, you know, it's okay. I'm content with it. And he forsakes the true worship of God to maintain his own body. And it reminds me of the man who was eating salad at one day. And he told his wife, one of the benefits of eating salad is that you can eat tons of it and never truly be satisfied. Isn't that the case? Here we have a man who's consuming all these things and he's content, but at the end of the day, it's not truly satisfying him. May I say, you can go through all the motions, through all the things the world encourages you, you can do all these things, 
But at the end of the day, you're never truly going to be satisfied until you find Christ. Well, there are a lot of people out there who are always seeking, are they not? They're never finding. They're always chasing, but never catching. They're like your pastor when I go, when the, when I go fishing, because I'm always casting and never catching. I say that to say this. There's one thing that will always bring fulfillment. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What happens when you do that? For they shall be filled. Teenagers, there's going to be all kinds of things thrown your way. Young adults, if you eat this, if you consume this, if you follow this, if you pursue this, he'll bring you everything. But my God, Jesus Christ, of course, promises you and me, if you'll hunger after and thirst after righteousness, you'll never go hungry. You'll always be filled. And so we see the unsatisfied contentment, though he was thinking he was content, he really wasn't satisfied. And then we see the unlawful consecration. Micah just goes to another level here. Here's a man of Ephraim who says, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself not just to make and paint a picture of God, not just to build a shrine, not just to bring a teraphim in, not just to have an ephod, not just to even put my son in spirit, but now I'm going to take it upon myself to consecrate this priest. He was delusional. He has no concept. He's giving authority over something that he has no, no way to do. There's no way this is even possible. So far removed from what God had in, in tune. Bible says in verse 12, And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. What does that mean? He literally installs him in the priestly office. He fills his hand with sacrifices. He tells him exactly how he wants him to run the worship service. Can you imagine being this Levite, being paid to do whatever Micah wants? And Micah says, okay, I'm going to consecrate you. You do everything exactly like I want you to. And you worship and you do the worship exactly what I want, because I have a purpose here, the direction I'm going. Micah is so, he has nothing to do with God. And he has all the outward signs, but none of it's coming together. Well, the young man should have known better. He knows better. He could have said to Micah, Micah, wait a minute here. You're way off base here. But what does he want? He needs the money. He needs the outfits. He needs the meal. And he's willing to go along with it. And may I say today, we all have choices in life, do we not? We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We've been taught. The Bible teaches us. By the way, the Bible is one thing that never moves. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? We have a certainty. Though the world goes one way, God's word does not change. Though men may go away, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today for We can always rely on Jesus Christ. But, if you go on Amazon and want to buy a food processor, Amazon offers over 2,000 types. You want to buy a drill? I haven't looked this up, but I was told there's more than 40,000 options. Choices are glorious, aren't they? But choices can also be confusing. Choices can be empowering, but they also can be overwhelming. And we live in a day and age where there's so many little gods out there. Our world tries to paint so many gods. You just take what you want and just be it. Embrace it. You'll be fine. 
And there's even those who can click the no God at all option. But I'm here today to tell you that there is a God. There is one true God. In fact, Philippians says in chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You, you, you can check Amazon for gods. You can, you can go wherever you want, whatever fits you. And one day that might happen to you, teenager. You finally get to the place where you say, you know what, mom and dad, I'm going to do my thing. Maybe, maybe you get to that point. You say, you know what, I'm just going to just choose like Micah, my thing. You can do it. But one day, every knee shall bow. And I decided a long time ago, I don't want what Justin wants. I want what my God wants. And I want to encourage you today, though it's all there, everything you can want in your mind, it does not bring true contentment. And it's not the true consecration that God wants. Therefore, you'll just find yourself slipping into idolatry. And then last but not least, we see the excusing of Israel's idolatry. So this brought to the very, very height of what we can tell was really important to Micah. Then said Micah, verse 13, Now know I that the Lord will do me good. He goes, ha, I figured it out. I got the golden ticket. I will do well. Seeing I have a Levite to my priest. By the way, keep in mind he's an unqualified and he's unquestioned. He's not a legit Levite. He's not been consecrated by God. So he's not going to do him any good. But in Micah's mind, He's painted the right picture. He's created the right ambiance. He's created the right temperature. He's created the right buildings. Everything is just right for him to finally get the blessing of God as he wants God to bless him. Well, we see the misguided blessing. Micah thought it was a sign of God's favor to him and his images that a Levite should come to his door. Even though he removed his son, even though he installed the Levite into the priestly office, it satisfies his conscience. And he thinks, I am doing the right thing. But you and I both know that one right circumstances does not answer for all the substantial errors. Therefore, you can do one right thing, but it does not counsel all the bad things because sin is sin. The Bible says once you have missed the mark, you've missed it. Once again, we know, we're reminded we need a Savior. And then we see the misguided blessing turns into a meaningless blessing. He truly thought he's blessed, but as we're going to find in the next chapter, a lot of this stuff got taken from him and got influenced by another tribe, and he will even make the assumption, and Micah says, that I've lost everything! Why? By the way, what's one thing that cannot be taken away from you and I? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But in Micah's mind, he lost everything. Why? Because he was plugged into the wrong source. He had built his own thinking, if you will. And he felt like he lost everything. And so that's why I say it's a mis- a meaningless blessing. It reminds me of Cain and Abel, right? Genesis 4.3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought up the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Oh, what an unjust God. What an unfair God. He was playing favorites, right? No, no, no. He was blessing the man who did it the way he wanted him to do it. 
Cain was under this weird thinking that my fruit of the ground should be enough. And God says, no, no, no. It's what I want you to do. And so we see this morning, this shows the whole goal of Micah and his mother's efforts. The purpose of their religious efforts was one reason, to get access to God so that he could get God to do what he wanted, not the other way around. And the gospel of true faith is to give God access to your heart so that he can get you to do what he wants to do. But religion's true purpose is the opposite. (laughs) It simply wants to get God to do what you want him to do. The gospel's purpose is to get your heart instead to serve him. And when we let God rule by reducing him to a man-made image or to projection of ourselves in our mind or to a nodding figure who agrees with what we already thought, we would never be moved to serve a small God like that. Can you imagine? If you had a God that could do everything you wanted and you could control, you were the puppet master, if you will. We had some puppets at VBS this week and people in there moving him around. If you want a God that you can do that too, would you really serve him? Would you really sacrifice for him? Would you really give it your all for him? No, it's cheap. But may I say, when we have gospel faith, we know the real God, who out of his great power and love sent his own son to die in our place and give us eternal life. And the tragedy of man-made religion is that it always reduces God to someone to be controlled rather than seeing God as the one who is in control and worthy of real, whole life worship. So reducing God leaves us worshiping a God who cannot help, cannot save us, cannot bless us, as Micah discovers later. Years ago, in 1741, an old man was wandering the streets of London Uh, His name was George Frederick Handel. He was angry at life. His mind kept going back to the time when he had the light of London, the wealthy of London, being at his ever-beckoning calling, coming to cram the theaters to hear him. But he had gotten older, and he had kind of lost the applause. He had become full of despair and hopeless for the future. Others were coming into the spotlight, and envy began to possess him. Uh, He had cerebral cerebral hemorrhage in his side, and he could not walk. It was paralyzed. The old composer couldn't write anymore, and the doctors gave him very little hope. He was a shriveled man who was bitter, frustrated at the world. He had no hope, had had no excitement. He ended up going to France and soaking in the mineral baths and started getting better again. Well, he came back and and started becoming successful once again. But then his greatest backer, Queen Caroline, passed away. England fell itself on uh, hard economic times. And his performances became canceled. And once again, he was wondering, where where was God? What, What is wrong with this? Aggravated at life, aggravated at the world. One night he went on a walk. And when he came back, Charles Jennings was waiting at his home. Jenin says he had just taken a text from the Old and New Testament and had made what he believed was going to be a great song. And he thought George uh, Handel, uh, uh, George Frederick Handel was a man to write it, the music for it. Uh, George Handel said, oh, whatever, if you want me to do it, I'll try. Nothing to do with God or the scriptures. But he started reading these words. He was despised, rejected of man. 
He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man, neither found he any to comfort him. His heart started melting. His eyes raced ahead, and he read the words he trusted in God. God did not leave his soul in hell. He will give you rest. And at that moment, George Frederick Handel's heart started softening. He then got to the line that he could not leave. And the line read this, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And at that moment, he became aware of the presence of God and his heart broke. And he gave his life to Christ. His heart was changed in an instant. Man, his outlook of life changed in an instant. He became so in love with God and the Spirit of God moved in his life and he started writing and in just a few short days he had the whole section of the Hallelujah Chorus written. And as it was sung by the choir, it was noted that King George II was so moved that he stood to his feet. Even to this day, people still rise to their feet as a great chorus is sung in praise to God. What had happened? George Frederick Handel had left him trying to make his own picture of God and trying to create his own blessing of God. And he got to a point in his life where he had no hope. And then he realized what it was all about. Jesus Christ is the answer. Not me trying to control Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to God and it changed his heart. May I encourage you this morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ is the answer. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. But God commendeth, God gave his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but when I realized that as a boy, I said, I sign me up. I want Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus Christ changed my life, and he wants to change your life today too. Will you give your life to him? But sometimes we can know for sure we're going to heaven and then get flipped in our thinking that we want to put God in a box and we want to control God. We want to paint our own picture of God. Now, we wouldn't say that, but we live it by our actions. And God says, whoa, what happened with your sweet relationship with me? Whatever happened to your walk with me? Whatever happened with allowing the Holy Spirit to guide in you in your life and listening to it? Whatever happened to being a witness for me? Whatever happened to follow the promptings of my Spirit and say, whatever happened to it? You've gotten so wrapped up in all the checkbox mentality that you forgot what truly being a Christian is, and that is falling in love with Jesus every day. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're struggling with some areas of your life that you know you need to give to Christ. Will you do it? Maybe you're burdened today. You're, you're just overwhelmed. May I encourage you to realize that Jesus does have the answer. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. I submit to you today that maybe there's someone here in this room that like Micah, you've tried your own way. You've created, you've painted a picture of your own God. You've tried to manufacture your own religion. You've even strategically put things into place so that it seem to go better for you. But in the end, you've realized it's all empty because you have not done it God's way. Nicodemus knew that religion was not going to save him. Jesus clearly told him that. The rich young ruler tried to be that perfect one and he walked away heavy-hearted because Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor. What Jesus was initially was saying was that wealth is not going to get you anywhere. 
you must come to me. Maybe there's someone in this room today that you've tried good works. You've even tried church. You've even said all the right things, but at the end of the day, you've realized that you still are empty. My dear friend, you must give your life to Christ and accept him into your heart. Maybe there's someone like that today that would say, Pastor Justin, I do not know for sure I'm going to heaven. And I need Jesus as my Savior. I want to quit trying to do it on my own. I'm going to quit trying to manufacture my own blessing. And I'm just going to give my life to Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed. No one's looking around. I promise you I will not embarrass you. But if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Justin, will you pray for me? I need Jesus in my life. I want to start a relationship with him. I want to accept him in my heart. If that's you, we just slip up your hand real quick. I want to pray for you this morning. Is there anybody like that? Say, Pastor, I see that hand. Is there anybody else that would like to join the hand? I see that hand. Say, Pastor Justin, I need to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Just say something like this in your heart. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve to go to hell. But I don't want to go there. Please come into my heart. And take away my sin. And save me. Lord, I believe and trust in you. And accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor Justin, I just prayed that prayer and I meant that. That you always slip up your hand. I want to rejoice with you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone today that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I, I hate to say I'm like Micah, but I'll be honest with you. I've kind of fallen in some of those traps. I've tried to put God in a box. I've tried to paint his own picture. I've tried to get God to do what I want him to do in my life. Maybe bring healing to someone or maybe uh, to, to, to open a door or maybe to do something that I, I've, I've worked so hard to do what God wants, what I want him to do instead of what he wants to do in me. And I've learned this morning that I need to flip the script and I need to allow him to work in my heart and do as he wishes. Pastor, just when you pray for me, if that's you, slip your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. All over. Maybe there's someone that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I'll be honest with you. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I am just carrying a burden today. It's overwhelming. Would you pray for me? God would help me. If that's you, slip your hand. God bless you. I see those hands. Maybe the Lord challenged you in another way today. May we not be falling in the trap of Micah. May we decide, God, my life is yours to control. I don't let the Holy Spirit control me and fill me so that I can please you to my fullness. Lord, you saw the hands, you know the hearts. Bless this invitation. May your will be done like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano's going to play. We have what we call an invitation time. This allows you to respond to the message that God has for you. Maybe God touched your heart. You'd like to come forward and take a moment in prayer. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone about baptism as an outward expression of your inward decision. Maybe somebody would like to talk about membership. You say, you know, I'm interested in maybe joining the church sometime. What do I need to do to do that? Maybe there's someone that just needs to take a moment and praying. Maybe you'd like one of our staff to pray with you. Maybe... You just have something you're dealing with right now. May I encourage you to just take a moment and pray with God. Allow Him to work and allow Him to do what He would have you do in your heart this morning.
Thank you so much. You may be seated. Uh, just another minute or two, we want to show you a little video about what God's doing here and some upcoming events that we can be a part of. And uh, then we'll be dismissed this morning. and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a sermon from Pastor Layman, and we will also be observing the Lord's Supper. Just wanted to remind you about our upcoming teen activities this week. We have a swim activity planned for the boys and girls. The boys' swim activity will be tomorrow, Monday, July 17th. We will leave the church at 9.30 and return at 1.30. And then the girls' swim activity will be Tuesday, July 18th, and it'll be the same time. The cost is $5, and lunch will be provided for the young people. Don't want to miss this wonderful activity. Also, if you've not signed up for Teen Camp or you've not paid, you can do so online at grandviewcares.com. The Best Years Club is having a special activity the 23rd of this month. It's a potluck right after the 11 o'clock service. Anyone 55 years of age and older, bring a few dishes. We're going to join together and have a great time of fellowship. Also, the Israel trip is coming up in January. Normally, we have many people interested, and already I've talked to many people that have said they are, but you have not signed up yet. In the next month or two, we've got to finalize that. So if you are interested, please sign up very quickly. Don't miss our men's softball game this Saturday at Westerland Park in Oregon City at 5 p.m. Come out and support our church and cheer on your favorite team. Don't forget to join us next Sunday morning following the 11 a.m. service for our starting point class. Explore membership at Grandview, find out more about growing in your relationship with Christ, and get connected with our church. Enjoy a delicious meal while learning how to take the next step in your journey of faith here at Grandview. The international program at GVCA has the opportunity to host 33 Japanese students this August. The dates will be from the 2nd to the 14th. We are looking for several families that would be willing to host these students for those two weeks. If you would like to volunteer, please see Nicole Berkeley. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Oh, guests, we really do want to get to know you. Thank you for coming and thank you for being here today. Please know God loves you and this pastor loves you. Have a good afternoon. We'll see you tonight at 5. You are dismissed. (laughs) 